Welcome, stranger. The hour is late. Twilight diminishes. Night is coming. Welcome to Castle Ravenscar, and I'm your host, Revan Keys. The storm outside is raging. Looks like you might be stranded here for a little while, anyway. No, don't worry. You're not the first weary traveler to seek shelter within these walls. We will take good care of you. I'm sure the storm will pass by morning. Until then, how about a story by the fireside? Settle in. I think I've got just the story for you. <laughs> Come in, fearless pilgrim, settle by the fire. In tonight's tale, we explore the supernatural as one retired miner recounts an experience that ruined him and his family. Tonight, I present to you The Haunted Mine of Barrowstone Lake by Revan Keys. My name is Sebastian Gray. I'd like to tell you a story. It's a difficult story to tell. It seems almost impossible looking back, but I fear that my age will rob me of the memories that I have and the truth that tore my family apart. The year was 1813, and I was 15 years old, small and slim for my age. My parents were coal miners both. They worked long hours in the mine by Barrowstone Lake. We lived in a small townhouse just off the main market square. My parents, my sister Bess, and me. Bess was seven years old at the time, and she was the light of our lives back then. A tiny angel with long blonde hair and rosy cheeks. She was my father's whole world. We both were, really. But there was something angelic about Bess that was very hard to ignore. Even if that meant sometimes feeling second best. It was a feeling I almost enjoyed. It was a way that I could look after her. I was her brother, and I loved her just as much as my mother and father did. Our house, though small, was well cared for. Our possessions were not new or particularly well crafted, but they were always clean. My mother worked less hours than my father, and so in the time that she was not working in the mine as a getter or taking care of my sister and I, then she was cleaning our home. And she did a perfect job keeping everything neat, polished, and in its place. A quality not seen in many families such as ours. At 15 years old, I had moved through various jobs already at the mine. I started there when I was seven, as a trapper. It was my job to work the wooden ventilation doors, which I opened when the hurriers brought up a full cart of coal. It was a good job for a child, and a position of trust which made me feel very responsible. One ventilation door left open could starve the mine of air, so my job was amongst the most important. 
The only downside, however, was that we could not spare the money for a candle, so I had to work most of the time in the dark, and it could get very lonely. My father was a hewer. His job scared me the most. He would use a small pick to break the coal away from the seam, but he was forced to work in a gap no higher than his knee. He worked, laid on his side, squeezed into a crack in the dark, mining only by the light of a single candle. I've already mentioned that my mother worked as a getter. It was her job to shovel the coal produced by my father and load it into the coal corves, which, to those unfamiliar with mining terminology, would be either a small cart or a very large basket. We worked together as a family to produce as much coal as possible. That's how we were paid, by the amount of coal that we produced, not how many hours we worked to produce it. But my father was adamant that my mother worked less hours than the rest of us so that she could take care of our home, so that we had somewhere nice to come back to. It was important for my father. Working conditions in the mines were very poor, and I think without the comfort of our very small home, he would have lost his mind. We had already discussed me becoming a hewer, my father and I. It would help us generate more income, but he knew my fears. He was trying so hard not to force me to do it. He wanted me to understand what it would mean to us. It wasn't until he reminded me of how much we all wanted a better life for my sister, so that she didn't have to start working in that hot, damp hole in the earth, that I realized he was right. I had to put aside my childish fears. That evening, I looked at my sister while she played by the lamplight, my mother teaching her the basics of the alphabet. I just looked at her. I had to give her a better life. I swallowed hard, straightened my posture out so that I sat tall in my chair. Tomorrow, I would speak with the foreman and take on my new role. And tonight, I would try to rationalize my fears. I had to try and figure out what it was that I was afraid of. But in my heart, I think I knew. When I was very small, working the ventilation doors in the dark, I remember an incident. Although now it feels more like an elusive delirium. I remember working in the dark, always working in the dark. Moving the doors open flooded my little room with daylight, but when twilight descended and the last of the sun's rays ran dry, the doors opening yielded no illumination. One such evening, I recall closing the door after a full cart had ascended. I closed it, and the dark surrounded me. I felt the air become cold and thin, colder and colder, until the very air frosted my lungs. Despite the absence of light, the room became darker still, my surroundings becoming thick and black like pitch like freezing coal tar spreading throughout my room and over my shivering body, seeping its way into the very marrow of my bones. 
I started to panic. There was a pressure in the room, slowly building. I could feel a presence, angry and dangerous, moving closer and closer to my convulsing frame. I heard whispers, or at least I think I did. I can't remember much of what happened after. I can remember words, maybe. I couldn't recall, and when I tried to focus hard on the memory, my fears tore me away from it. My own mind wouldn't let me touch it. It felt like a dream or a nightmare. Maybe it was. Just the overactive imagination of a small boy that worked in an unsafe and scary place. Either way, tomorrow I had to face that fear of the dark. I would be okay. If my dad survived all this time, I'm sure I could too. I'd learn from the best. I slept well that night, through my fear, knowing that I was going to be doing something good for a rosy angel. The next morning, we laughed and spent time together over breakfast, just before the sun had officially declared the morning begun. My sister stayed with my aunt, who minded her for very little money in return. She was a widow, and she had inherited just enough to keep her in food and clothes if she forwent any degree of luxury, which she didn't mind in the least. She extracted joy from the time she spent with my sister. It was an arrangement that no other in the mine could afford, which is why at least a full quarter of the workforce were children. We made our farewells for the day, lunch packs in hand, and headed for the colliery. We made our way to the nearest pit head, which was a long, narrow shaft that bore directly into the earth. We would be lowered into the mine proper from this shaft, sometimes in twos, tied back to back. Once we were down, we headed into a small room just off the main mine track. This was a kind of storage room. We could leave our meals and clothes here, confident that they would remain untouched. Because of the heat and the humidity of the mine as you went lower, most of the workers labored wearing very little, if anything at all. Both my father and mother stripped down to their underwear and headed to their allocated area. I went off to find the foreman to announce my intention of taking on a new role. The foreman overseeing our area was a giant of a man, with thick hair across his arms and shoulders. He seemed to wear a scowl, even when his humor was bright, which was often. His name was Ben Griss. He was not a long-standing miner here, having moved to Barrowstone Lake with his family from a few towns over after the last foreman left town some years ago. He seemed pleased with the news and looked at me with an expression of respect. We walked together to a small tool shed close by and he handed me a small pick and a hand shovel. He placed his hand on my shoulder and said, Good luck, boy. Try not to piss your pants in there. He chuckled to himself and left me to prepare. I took off my clothes and stacked them with my parents and headed off to the deepest part of the mine. The heat 
was intense in the bowels of the mine. The closer to hell, the hotter the fires, my father says often. I was shown the seam that I would begin working on. It was some distance away from the others, where several hewers worked only a few meters apart. It was much more isolated, off in a peculiar corner. I squeezed myself through the tight gap in the face of the stone walls. I sparked my flint and lit my candle, holding it awkwardly as I squeezed further and further into the crack. The air grew thin, and there was a thick veil of dust that danced in the glow of my candle flame. There were sharp rocks scattered across the floor. I tried to sweep them aside with my hand so I could lay more comfortably on my side as I worked. I set down my candle and began to strike at the coal seam with my pick. Before I knew it, I had filled my first bucket. The sight of it filled me with joy. Black gold, I thought to myself, knowing that this would be the first of many today that I would have to fill. I dragged it back to the entrance of the crack and replaced it with an empty bucket left there by the getters. Back and forward I slid three, four, five more times. My arms throbbed with the exertion and I found my mouth was as dry as a pile of autumn leaves. As I laid there in the dark, chipping away, my mind lost in thoughts of mum's vegetable broth and a fresh loaf waiting for us at home. I felt an odd sensation in my foot. No, not quite in my foot. On my foot. It felt like something moving over the surface of my skin. Soft and cool. I craned my head to look as best I could, but saw nothing there but shadow. I resumed working, giving my foot a little shake for good measure. My heart suddenly leapt as I felt a hand reach from the shadows, grab my ankle, and tug sharply, hard enough to drag me a few centimeters across the ground. My foot throbbed, my skin feeling like it had been burned. I shrieked and pulled my legs up to my chest. Reaching for the candle at my side, I brought it around so that I could see my foot. There, as plain as day, was a handprint, a big hand, each digit clearly set back in red burn marks against the pale white of my skin. As I laid there, stunned and shaking, I heard a whisper too faint to hear clearly. It came from behind me. I rolled over. Nothing. Then another whisper behind me again. I flipped once more, and again I could see nothing. I knew at once, though, this was the fear that had been weighing so heavily on my spirit. This was the same thing I had encountered all those years back when I was a small boy. I felt the chill in the air again. I tried to scramble from the hole, but my body felt numb, like it weighed more than a full coal wagon. I felt pressed to the ground, unable to move my arms or legs. As the temperature dropped, the light from my candle also diminished, yet the flame remained as large as it ever was. It was like all the ambient light was being drawn away, and soon I was in total darkness, save for the barely visible candle flame, motionless in the stillness of the inky abyss. 
The hairs on my neck and forearms stood on end. I felt an encroaching terror creeping up on me. I could sense it, like a pressure building all around me. A presence there in the dark, sliding closer and closer to me. We were face to face now, though I could still see nothing at all. Albert Ryan. A voice uttered so low, guttural and deep. A low growl tremored the air in front of my face as I felt two hands close around my throat. I tried to scream, but my mind felt pummeled. Nothing about my physical presence worked at all. I just laid there, gripped by the devil in the coldest part of hell. As the fingers tightened, I thought of my Bess. I thought of her smile, a tiny freckled nose, and the way she sometimes fell asleep on my lap as our father read us stories from the adventures of Henny Penny and her many animal friends. I thought of her little hand clasped tightly in mine, and I smiled. All at once, I was free. The heat flooded back, and the light radiated out from the now unmuted candle flame. I could move, though I was in pain. My neck felt stiff, but I was alive, and I was in charge of my own limbs again. With as much speed as I could muster, I dragged myself out from the seam. I stood upright and held my head in my hands. You are right, sir, came a voice from across the way. It was Sally, one of the getters. She was a girl the same age as me. You look like you're going to lose your breakfast, she chortled as she eyed me up and down. I suddenly became aware that I was stood in my underwear, trembling, and not a moment away from wetting myself, if I'd not already done so. Uh, I'm fine, I stammered. I need to go. I ran at half pace. I didn't stop for my clothes. I just headed directly for the pit head and took the rope straight to the surface. The cool air on my skin was nothing short of magic. The daylight, the breeze, the ambient sounds of the whole world all worked to bring me back from the waking nightmare that I had barely made it out of. A hand on my shoulder made me flinch. You look bedeviled, lad. What's happened? said Ben. He seemed genuinely concerned, and when his eyes met mine, they were filled with warmth and compassion. I knew he would think me head affected and send me back in if I told him the truth. No, I, I couldn't breathe. I, I felt sick, sir. Weakness and all. I knew my expression was pitiful. I just need a rest, is all. Maybe. Maybe it was just too much in a day. I, I could push carts today, please, sir. Well, suppose you won't lose any coin, but remember you won't earn any more than you would have yesterday, save for those few buckets you managed. Pennies is all. You can explain that to your father. I don't want him coming back to me full of hell. He put his hand on my shoulder once more. Five minutes, lad, then I want you back in. You can stay in this area if you like. Help Sally, Ralph and Sissy. The rest of the day felt protracted. Time dragged on and on, and I jumped at every rogue shadow and every clang from every dropped tool. 
When I finally reached my front door that night, I knew my father would be right behind me. I would have to explain myself somehow, yet I was unsure in my own mind what exactly did occur. I made an excuse of illness, and my father responded with sympathy and understanding, though I could tell he was disappointed. I agreed to try harder the next day. My God, how could I go back into that mine? That night, sleep was elusive, yet another shifting and abstract entity that swam back and forth through my mind. Before I was fully aware, I was staring down into the abyssal blackness of the pit head once more. Once we reached the bottom, I parted ways with my parents, removed my clothes, and began work in a new scene. The whole day through, I was plagued by that same unseen force. Everything would be quiet when the others were near, but as soon as they moved on, I would feel a freezing fist jab me in the back. As I laid chipping at the coal, I felt that strong hand move through my hair and sharply grab, jarring my head back. Albert Ryan, Albert Ryan. The guttural whisper would rage. My candle would go out by itself, leaving me in the dark. I felt numb. I was no longer terrified, just numb every passing moment feeling like a waking dreamscape to which there was no beginning or end. I felt I would go mad, positively mad. My nights were riddled with terrors and foul dreams. My days haunted by a devil torturing me for reasons I could not fathom. I had to do something, forcing myself to snap back to as much of my reality as I could muster I went to seek out Ben Gris. I asked him about the name, Albert Ryan. Who, who is he, Ben, please? I stammered through trembling lips and bloodshot eyes. Albert Ryan, Albert Ryan, I, I took his job, I think, I, that was the old foreman before me, I'm sure. Boss says he just disappeared one night. Moonlight flit, he says. Funny thing. No one saw him leave, as I recall the tale. He just never turned in for work one day. I stared, open-mouthed. I struggled to focus my thoughts. How did this fit with what I knew? Was Albert Bryan trapped here as a spirit or ghost somehow? Did something happen to him? Then why would the mine owner replace him so quickly? Unless... The thought came crashing down on me like rubble. Did the boss kill him? Or cover up an accident here? This is what I was supposed to find. I was sure of it. I thanked Ben and went back to my seam. I laid there in the dark, waiting. Albert Ryan, the whisper announced. I know, Albert, I know. I, I can help you. How can I put this right? Where are you? Silence answered me. I laid, straining my ears to listen for his voice. All at once I felt a hand wrap around each ankle. My eyes widened as all at once I was yanked from the seam. 
I was being dragged along the ground, grit and broken stones striking my naked body as I went. I felt each bump, bruise, cut, and abrasion as I flew along into the dark of the mine. Even though the mine was blurring past me, I knew the general direction I was moving. There were several sections of the mine that were closed, following a cave-in or structural damage, the last being from a rainstorm. The rainwater had found its way deep underground, soaking through some of the support beams that had caused them to break under their own weight. I felt the hands finally release me. I sobbed and sat up, my body throbbing. I was in total darkness. The blackness there was impenetrable. I was naked. I had no flint, no candle. I groped around in the dark all the time I could hear it. Albert Ryan, his deep, ragged breath almost a growl. I could sense him circling me like a predator. I moved forward on my knees, hands reaching for anything. A hard smack struck my hand to the left. I sobbed and turned to the right, moving slowly forward. My hand brushed up against something wooden, a box. I pulled myself to my feet, using its solid edge for leverage. Blindly, I moved my hands along its surface, feeling my way around. I felt a pick and a small pouch, and something soft and rancid. I shook my hand, wiping whatever mess that was onto the ground. As the last of my hope began to fade, my hand brushed the edge of something tall and thin and firm. A candle. I held it tightly, feeling for a flint and metal. I found that there too. I set down the candle and sparked the flint, a shower of bright sparks catching the wick. Three or four attempts later, and the candle rose to life, illuminating the dark area. I saw boxes scattered around, more candles, and rotten food on plates. I stared at my hand, shaking it once more for good measure. This area had been closed for years, deemed unsafe and all work ceased in the whole area. Candles would never be left behind by miners, so it must have been the foreman and the bosses who had inspected the mine last. I lit the other candles around me. Okay, I'm here. Now what? I said in a voice that sounded incongruently confident. Albert Ryan, came the reply followed by a firm shove to my back. I looked around and noticed a small area of one wall, boarded up with several wooden planks and a barrel in front. The only reason it stood out was that you could see the earth behind was missing, but the gap was small, only shoulder height, not high enough to warrant reinforcing against cave-in. I pointed at the boards. Albert Ryan the reply and another hard shove towards it. Using the discarded tools, I hammered the boards, pulling at them with the pickaxe. Plumes of dust filled the air, and in a few moments the boards were cleared and the hole exposed. I dug carefully forward, all the while knowing what I would find. I raked the soft earth with my hands, 
Inevitably, I felt something hard and bony. A hand grew into view as the soft dirt fell away. I leant back, a low sob escaping my throat. Spurred on by a hard shove from behind, I dug further, unearthing the skeleton from this undignified prison. It was the skeletal remains of a man, a large man. As I stared, I heard the whisper soften. Albert Ryan. As it faded to somewhere far away, I knew what I had to do. I had to confront the owner. I had to have Albert's body removed from here and buried with dignity. I hurried from the depths, making my way carefully but swiftly back through the abandoned section of the main work areas. I gathered my things, dressed, and left the mine. I knew the owner would be in the offices on the site. My hands were shaking. He had murdered this poor miner or covered up an accident and made it look like he had moved on, skipped town. I had to set this right, or I would be haunted forever. Of this I had no doubt. I burst through the closed doors to the master's office. I found him. I found Albert Ryan. What happened to him? Did you kill him? Why did you say he left town? What's the meaning of this boy? replied the master. Albert Ryan, what are you talking about? Found him. The master was tall and gaunt, an elderly man, wearing a tight-fitted grey suit that gave him an almost spectral appearance. I found his bones in the mine, sealed up in a wall in the derelict sections. I hurriedly replied, Bones? In the mine? I can assure you, whatever bones you found do not belong to Albert Ryan. He's alive and well living in the next town over with his family. You can go and check for yourself, boy. Now get back to work before I take this misunderstanding very personally. There was no flitter of guilt on the man's face. He sounded totally convincing. I felt my world falling apart, my sanity being pulled at the seams. I give up, I whispered. I'll work on the farms. I won't even ever set foot in the mine again. Father will understand. I made a feeble apology and left the old man, quite aware that he was too elderly to have killed anyone, even those few years ago, and besides which he had a reputation of being kind, gentle, and understanding. Nothing about this made sense, and I felt my mind begin to shut down. Was I wrong? If I was, then what did I find there in the dark? As I exited the offices, I saw in the distance a shining blonde angel, our Bess, running towards the mine. My stomach heaved. I bolted with every ounce of speed I could muster, but before I could reach the yard, I saw her blonde hair disappear into the mine entrance. I screamed her name. Workers looked at me, eyes darting around to see what was the matter. I bolted past them all and made my way into the mine. She darted round each corner, seeming to skip meters ahead of me every time I came close. She would appear further away. I knew exactly where she was heading. I stopped briefly to grab one of the expensive lamps that held the taller candles mounted to the walls. 
I followed my senses around the twists and turns of each tightening corridor, back to the abandoned sections. Before I could reach the passage that led to the room where I had unearthed that skeletal mystery, there came a deep tremor. The ground shook, and the support beams that held back the weight of the world above came crashing down in front of me. I covered my eyes with my arm and jumped back. I yelled for Bess, looking frantically for a way through. From far beyond the rubble, I heard her scream, and then silence. I darted back the way I came, looking for Ben and my parents. I told them what had happened, that Bess had ran headlong into the dark. At first, they didn't believe me, their faces changing between puzzled amusement and confusion, settling finally into deep fear and panic. They followed me into the tunnel, but the track was clear when we arrived. There were clear signs of a cave-in, but the debris looked to have been pushed aside. We ran on to the room at the end, finding it empty. We searched the area, finding nothing but the pale bones half buried in the corner. My parents spent the whole night searching the yard, the mine, and even the entire town. I remember the boss's words, Alive and well, the next town over. As dawn broke, I took just a few coins from my father's lockbox and headed into town. Not knowing exactly where this journey would take me, I slipped a small meat knife into my pocket and headed for the coaches. The next town over was Dartwood. Only an hour away by a skilled driver and fast ponies. I paid my fare and we headed off into the fresh morning light just as the rain began to fall. The driver dropped me at the town inn. I entered, knowing that a child my age would draw some attention. I asked the barkeep gave him the name Albert Ryan, formerly of Barrowstone Mine. The innkeeper seemed resistant at first to speak until I mentioned that the mine owed Albert some money for wages unclaimed, and I was there to deliver it. I flashed him my most sincere smile, relying on the fact that I was fifteen years old to assuage any doubts he might have. He finally gave me his address, and I darted back out of the door. I searched each street sign, looking for Grove Street. The house at the end, crooked gate, and a long front yard was the description. And there it was. I marched up to the front door and knocked. A woman answered. She stood there in a neatly pressed nurse's uniform. Speak quickly, young man. You caught me heading right out to the hospital. How can I help you? Her voice, soft and gentle. Albert Ryan, I replied. Ah, that's my mister. He's inside and to the left in the kitchen. You can't miss him, she said as she picked up a small bag and hurried out of the door. Goodbye, darling. I'll see you this evening. Don't forget to pick up Winston from my sisters, and there's a very handsome young chap here for you. She looked at me and smiled. In you pop, love. I made my way slowly through the hall and into the kitchen on the left. At the table sat a man. He stood as I entered. 
his beard neatly trimmed close to his face. He wore a waistcoat and impeccably pressed trousers and a small black tie at his throat. Who are you, young man? His voice smooth and confident. I'm, I'm from Bowstone Mine. You were a foreman there a few years ago. You're Albert Ryan. His posture stiffened, and he placed a clenched fist onto the surface of the table. What business brings you here, boy? He said, his tone intense and firm. I found him in the abandoned section of the mine. I found him there in the dirt. Albert's eyes darkened as they met mine. The intensity of his gaze seemed to bore right through me. Old Alan Bracken, eh? And I did a damn good job of hiding that fool. I even convinced the boss to close that section of the mine after I buried him. I was so careful. I pulled the beams just right. I filled out the paperwork from the inspectors that never came. I took it to the boss myself. It was all so perfect. Or did a little bastard like you ever find him? He growled. And why now, after all these years? I couldn't find the words to explain. I stood shaking. Why did you do it? I stammered. Why? Well, I didn't mean to, it was the simple truth. I maybe pushed him a bit hard that day. He snapped back at me. We got into a scuffle. I smacked him in the head. Soon as he went down, I should have stopped, but I couldn't. I just swung the pickaxe. Before I knew it, that was that. Dead. I knew he lived alone, no family or friends to speak of. He wouldn't be missed. It was me I was worried for. So I hid him. Did everything I could to make sure no one would ever find him. It was all perfect. The rainstorm we had that month was a gift from heaven. I knew how to divert a bit of groundwater to certain areas of the mine. I let it soak through one of the beams. Pulled it down without much effort. Did everything, his tone becoming angrier. Paperwork forged, inspectors made up, and the boss bought it all. The mine was huge. He didn't miss that one small section. He didn't care. And I knew he would never send anyone back down there. Not after it claimed the life of poor Alan Bracken. His eyes met mine once more. I even forged burial paperwork. Said the body had been claimed. He was given a pauper's burial at the edge of town. So I'll ask you again. How? Did you find him? I fell to my knees and sobbed, shrugging my shoulders, unable to contain my grief. No, forget it. I don't care. I'll not let you undone what work I've done. He dashed forward, his hands extended for my throat. My hand, however, was already in my pocket, gripped around the handle of the meat knife. Just one step closer, I thought as his shadow loomed over me and his hands grazed the skin of my neck. I thrust my arm out sideways and brought the blade straight into the side of his neck. I twisted it. His eyes grew wider than I thought it possible for human eyes to open. He stood just for a second and took a step back. The blade withdrew from the side of his neck as a crimson spurt jetted from the wound. Rhythmically, in time with his own quickening heartbeat. Like a man possessed, I leapt forward, knocking him to the ground, and I stabbed him in the chest over and over until my arms gave out and I could move no more. I rose, 
and after rinsing the blade in the sink, I wrapped it in a piece of nearby cheesecloth and placed it back in my pocket. I closed his front door and walked, dazed and exhausted, back to the coach stand. The journey passed in a blur. Visions of Albert's wide eyes flashed back and forth through my mind. Without thinking, I was walking slowly towards Barrowstone Mine, down the pithead and into the dark, back to the room in the abandoned sections. I never looked up at the workers scurrying around their business. I just walked, head down, as I entered the room at the end of the broken section. I saw her there in the corner by the remains of Alan Bracken. Bess, she was curled up, rocking. Albert, Ryan, she whispered over and over. I gathered her up in my arms and carried her back home. My parents held us both for hours, my father stroking my hair and telling me how proud he was of me. My amazing boy, my own amazing boy, you brought her back to us, you angel, my angels both. He gushed as tears escaped his eyes. We never went back to that mine, my family and I. As far as I could tell, the boss found out about Albert Ryan's murder. He spoke to the police and gave his accounts. I was arrested but a few days later. Because of my age, I was given a lighter sentence, especially after I had explained to them the murder of Alan Bracken, making out that it was by sheer accident that I found him. I claimed that I went to see Albert Ryan to convince him to confess, thinking that I was man enough to handle things alone. I said that he had attacked me, and in a blind panic I lashed out. I spent three years in prison, but it was Bess and my family that suffered the most. Bess ended up in the care of Willow's Grove, a mental asylum for the insane. Without us both, my parents fell into a deep depression. Work at the mine resumed, and there were no stories as far as my researches led me to tell of any unexplained activity there. It remains to this day as quiet as a grave. My sister remains there in Willow's Grove. I see her every week. The only words she speaks from that day to this are Albert Ryan. And that brings us to the end of this tale. It looks like when we're dealing with the paranormal, things are very rarely as they appear to be. Make sure you join us next time for another terrifying bedtime tale. And to make sure you never miss an episode, make sure you follow and subscribe to Spotify and YouTube. And as always, if you have a horror story you would like narrating on this podcast, please get in touch. Until next time, weary traveler, stay safe and join us again for more Tales from Castle Ravenscar.